Welcome to Talking Materials Handling. In each episode, you'll hear from the thought leaders who are shaping what happens inside the four walls of the distribution center. We'll cover the gamut from automation and robots to software and the next-gen technologies that are enabling the workforce of tomorrow. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, the executive editor of Modern Materials Handling. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments. Now, to today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Talking Materials Handling. Next-gen order fulfillment, what will the DC of tomorrow look like? I'm Bob Troublecock and joining me today is Andy Lockhart. Andy is the Director of Strategic Engagement for North American Warehouse Solutions at Vonderlanda Industries. Andy, welcome. Thanks, Bob. Great to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, and this is just a topic that's near and dear to my heart, uh, you know, given my role at Modern Materials Handling. It's also one in a series of podcasts I'm recording to highlight content from NextGen 2023, where Andy was a panelist just talking about this topic. Now, there's little debate that the function of the warehouse has changed over the last decade. Sure, we still receive, put away, pick and pack and ship. But not so long ago, the primary role of the warehouse was storage. Today, it's a fulfillment engine that makes good on a business's go-to-market strategy. So what will the warehouse of tomorrow look like? That's what we're going to talk about today. So Andy, let's get started. Now, rather than look right to the future, I want to kick this off with a question about the present. I think it's fair to say that almost every company I talk to these days is in the midst of transforming their distribution centers with new technologies. I think on the panel you were on, we had some you know, end users who were talking about what they were doing. As a solution provider, you see customers in any number of different verticals, not just retail or not just medical supplies. Whether it's robotics, shuttles, autonomous vehicles, automated packaging, what are the two or three reasons why your customers are automating and second part, are they changing as we come out of the pandemic? Now, I realize there's a lot packed in there, and I'll just step out of the way and let you take it. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, there was a, there was a fair amount in there. And I think, you know, there's an underlying thing that we've, we've all heard many times before, which is, you know, the labor question. I think labor, labor was an issue before the pandemic. Labor was an issue during the pandemic. And labor is still an issue. I mean, it's, and it's not only can I get the labor, it's if I get the labor, will they turn up tomorrow? So it's that sort of reliability of labor as well as um, actually finding it. So that's still a fundamental driving factor that you see with you know, across the board. And I think then when you start getting into different verticals like e-commerce in particular, you know, the ability to for your orders accurately is is a real driver and of course automation helps a lot with you know, order accuracy and i think that's that's really getting important and I'll, we'll talk about it probably later but you know so if you don't do accurate orders then you get returns which you have to pay for and you know, the story continues in terms of you know, how much that really starts to cost so order actually is definitely something that's really driving and i think the other thing that we're starting to see is how do I get more out of my facility that I have? I don't want to go around building lots of new warehouses and all the costs associated with that. So given my existing facilities, how do I get more out of that? And I think that's that's the other big thing is you know, with automation. I can get more you know, 
orders per day, units picked by out of that same facility or that same square footage as well. Because you're obviously automation allows you to, to use the cube of the building, not just the floor space. So again, those are other drivers that you know I can get more more for the same as to say. So those are probably three of the big ones. I mean, yeah, there's obviously a long laundry list of different companies that have different things, but those those pop up on a regular basis. And I think um, you know, ecom took a took a dark, you know a boom time through the pandemic and then took a nosedive after the pandemic when people went back to stores and shopped in stores. So you know, there's that. But now that's sort of all normalized back again. So you're seeing sort of the same sort of functions that were happening before the pandemic are happening again now and the sort of same growth numbers or similar growth numbers. So you know, it's an interesting dynamic. And that, of course the you know the, the, the market dynamics we see today caused by the economy and everything else that, that's causing fluctuations in people's spending behaviors and stuff is also biting into things. You know, it was interesting that you started off with labor and I was glad to hear you say, you know, it was a problem before the pandemic. I, w I was writing something this morning and said that, you know, if you talk to any DC manager and I talked to quite a few of them, they'll tell you that you know, the, the labor shortages we were hearing about in the pandemic are back to normal or back to what it was pre-pandemic. That wasn't a great time. You know, DCs were experiencing 100% turnover, you know, in the workforce on an annual basis before the pandemic. So so going back to 100% turnover isn't like a big improvement, right? Um, Not at all. Yeah. Can you give us, even if you can't mention the customer, can you give us an example of a project that kind of illustrates what you were just talking about? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it's what you're seeing is <clears throat> they, um, you know, how do you deal with with that that labor shortage? You know, as you say, it's a hundred percent turnover, and you know, typically picking, especially in an econ environment, is the single biggest consumer of of, of labor, and so coming up with um, Solutions that really help with that that picking side of things and reduce the, the, the labor requirements around picking is probably the lowest hanging fruit for any um, operator. And then it's a case of how you actually implement that with not just creating an island of automation, but that's that's typically where we see you know the biggest single pieces. If, if I'm especially on an econ, I mean other things as well. But you know, I have most of my manpower is about how do I pick items, how do I meet the the uh, uh, customer promises that, that, that my marketing department has made for me is to say, so I get those out to, to the customer in, in a timely fashion. You know, obviously, over time, you know, Amazon has, has driven the, you know, the two day, the one day, the overnight, and other retailers had to respond to that. You know, perhaps other retailers may have started off with, I'll get it to you in a couple of weeks. Well, that sort of uh, dynamic has certainly changed a lot. So striving to get that has you know, put a real load into that how they pick and, and pack out that type of thing so i think that's where we see we have seen a lot of um customers uh you know attack that area first because that's one of the easier places to hit and it's obviously the lowest hanging uh andy uh, just to, to pick a little bit at that um we see picking also is the place you know because particularly with e-fulfillment, it is so labor intensive. Uh, I'm going to use an analogy of voice and then bring it back to picking, you know, when, and, and try to link it to these new technologies. When voice first came out, um, it was primarily a picking technology, right? 
people used it to, to get more accurate and be hands-free. And that's kind of where it was for many years. As the technology got better and people got more experience with it, they started asking, well, if I'm using voice for picking and I've already made the investment, how can I leverage that investment? How can I get more you know, out of picking? And they started you know, doing cycle counting and then using it for put away and retrieval and things like that. With these new um, automation technologies, I guess particularly things like you know, autonomous mobile robots, um, they're starting them in picking, but our, our customers, as they get accustomed to them, then saying, well, could I use it for another operation? You know, could I use it at receiving? Could I use it for replenishment? Could I use it to get things to shipping? Are, are we starting to look at ways to broaden out and get more out of that investment? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting, especially when you, you mentioned you know, AMRs or autonomous mobile robots, and then you get variations on what an AMR is. So, I mean, AMR today is there's multiple types of AMRs out there, there's, and there's another breed called ACRs, which is autonomous carton robot, which is you know again a, a little bit different, and you know that you know has they're almost like different uses so you know i need i need my sports car for doing the fast stuff but i need my pickup truck for carrying lots of uh payload around so it's you know these amrs are starting to get into that sort of uh different amrs for different purposes so to your back to your analogy yes people are but they're not necessarily the same beast for doing the different tasks so Okay. Which again is a is a different thing. I mean, we see a lot of that going on in terms of how this AMR development is. I sort of go back. To, I'll give a little story. When I first started in this industry uh, eleven years ago, I met somebody who said, "I don't need all this fancy automation stuff. I just put a million square foot up, put people in there, and I'm done." You know, today that, that's such a not a reality anymore that you can't do. So you're seeing the technology move faster and faster in terms of what it can do and what it's capable of doing. One of the terms we hear a lot today is this idea of flexible automation. You know, everybody says, oh, I want flexible automation. I don't want it bolted to the floor unless, you know, it's an operation where I know what I'm going to be doing in five years or something like that. You know, it's the idea that automation that can more easily adapt to changes in your order profiles or growth. When you think about it at Vonderland and things you're doing, what does flexible automation mean to you? And how do you think it's going to impact the design of distribution centers going forward? That's that's a great question, and and you know that that flexible word is banded around a lot, um, and, and perhaps us vendors are, are, are way good at using that word a lot, meaning a lot of different things. Um, and so you know, to a to an operator, what does what does that really mean? And you know, I think for an operator, you know, this is where they really have to understand their business uh, a lot better, and they and data a lot better, but you know, flexibility can still be, you know, something that's bolted to the ground like a shuttle because you know you're trying, you're, you're fundamentally you're trying to be something that, that is sort of skew agnostic and order agnostic in terms of I'm not worried about what you're putting into the system and I'm not worried about what the orders arrive like, um, and then it's you know how do I expand it now with the sort of AMR and ACR type philosophies, expanding becomes a lot easier because you're just adding more robots. But in the right. same respect with shuttle systems, you can add more shuttles depending on the type of shuttle system you have. So, you know, if you've got you know level roaming uh, 
shuttle system, you can have more shuttles and get more throughput. So that sort of addresses one of those things of growth. Obviously, when you're having to add more storage, that's a, a, in, a in a bolted down system is a bigger thing than say a, an AMR based one where it's 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 a it's a simpler process. But all of them are the same way. Is is that how do I get more out of that asset? How do I sweat that asset better? And uh, so one of the aspects, obviously, is is the software so that you you aren't worried about what the yeah, today's SKU profile looks like or the order profile looks like because yeah, tomorrow's is going to be different and I can deal with that. That's one piece of flexibility. And the other piece obviously is I need to expand um, what I put in. And one of those aspects of I need to expand what I put in is also did you did you leave space in your warehouse to expand it? So it doesn't matter whether it's AMR based or shuffle based or anything else based. If you if you didn't allow uh, space to add more or you have to take racks down to add more, then you know, you've got to deal with those sorts of things. So flexibility sounds great, but you've got to really plan ahead in terms of as an operator, as an operation in terms of where do I put this, where, how can I expand the footprint of whatever I'm putting in. When you're implementing, you know, we've got a lot of people who are going from relatively conventional facilities to now trying to bring, you know, high levels of automation. So what's the biggest challenge you're confronting or your customers are confronting um, when they go to higher levels of automation and how are you overcoming it? You know, is it integrating the systems? We always hear about integration with software. Is it training your people? Is it rethinking processes, you know, maintenance? What are the couple of biggest challenges and, and how do you prepare for that? So I think that's a really a double, a double edged question there because there's um, integration and being an integrator is sort of on the vendor side. Are they able to integrate all these various subsystems together and the software together to give the customer an overall solution? Because, you know, in the past, people bought islands of automation so that didn't talk to each other. Well, that really doesn't, doesn't, you know, it's great for a while, but then it hits an end stop. And so today, you know, people are much more wanting to have that fully integrated solution. So from a from a vendor perspective, that integration is is you know, really important, and that is that is a challenge um, to make sure it all does work together, and that you don't have any weird interactions happening on bottlenecks. But from from the operator's perspective or the customer's perspective, that's a really different type of thing because from their perspective, it's training, it's understanding how that system works because they're fairly used to a pretty manual type of system, even if might have some conveyors and sorters. It's a very different thing from doing a highly automated system where the way you run it is a bit different, you know, so you, know, you have to, you, know, you want to sweat the asset, you want to fully utilize it, you want to drive it so it's, it's you know, being used most of the time. You, you know, automation doesn't work well if you do a stop-start approach to life. So um, that is where training comes in and that's a particularly important piece for the customer to fully understand that. So they really do get the, the uh, advantage of the automation out and don't run into problems because they're not really running it how it should be run, which again is a mindset change. And then of course, yeah, you have maintenance and stuff, but if if you're getting maintenance from your vendor, they know how to do that. But if you're going to take on that maintenance yourself, then you you really need to understand the type of people you need. You've got to hire different different skill sets. You've got to understand you know, when you can do the maintenance, how you do the maintenance. So yeah, I, I, in some respects, the challenges for, for the customer are, are around understanding how how, they, how to operate the system they purchased, how to maintain it if that's what they're going to do, um, as opposed to where on the vendor end, it's more about 
integrating all those different pieces together to provide that single uh, solution for the, for the customer. So the, the, one of the points you just made, I think, is a, is a great one. Uh, you know, we think of automation as eliminating jobs, but the reality is, at least today, there's no such thing as a lights-out warehouse, right? We're still going to rely on people. So how do you manage differently in an automated warehouse uh, over a conventional warehouse? And are the skills needed to work in an automated warehouse different? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean, I think... Obviously, you know, automation brings you, you know, less people and typically, you know, ROIs for automation are about, I don't need so many people to run it. Um, so you're going, you're, you, your skill set is going from those uh, mundane jobs to a more interesting job in some respects. Now that can be, uh, when you look at, you know, lights out warehouse has been a panacea for, I don't know how long uh, in this industry, but you know, getting there is a, is a different matter. But, right. you know, so... The, the you know a lights out warehouse for the happy path if you if you like yeah that sounds great but you know you know the happy path does not happen 100 percent of the time so you know you have to have people to be able to deal with when things go wrong when things need checking you have all the maintenance pieces to do um there's still functions within a warehouse like like returns for instance um that is nowhere near a lights out operation. Now, perhaps you know, once once the uh, AI world has taken over the world, then maybe that's fine. But you know, if you look at a returns process, you get something back in. Somebody has to inspect it. Somebody has to put it back into the system. All of that, and that's very labor intensive. That still has to happen. So, and you know, when you see like returns volumes of thirty percent, that's a huge volume of, of product that potentially potentially can come back into a warehouse. So. I think really what it is is you know, you're you're taking away the, the mundane jobs uh, with the automation, but you're 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 moving them into more um, productive uh, and financially you know make you more money as to say uh, type of roles. Is it a different worker, a different set of skills, or is it more you know simplifying the task for the existing worker? Um, well, obviously, if you're moving them into a more sort of maintenance operational role, then that's a that's a, definitely a skill set up. Um, other right, roles, right. Are, yes, you're you're trying to define the role for them in a different way. The type of activity they're doing is not, you know, pick one from here and put it to there. So it's not that you know repetitive, such a repetitive piece of work. But you you definitely do have to. There's definitely a, uh, an upskill and uh, more. Um, Things you have to think about in the role, but yeah, you would uh, definitely make sure that you you created the skill set and the processes to support it, so that you you're not you know you're not wanting somebody with a PhD to do it. So. Um, all right, so let's we've been talking about sort of the present state of things. Let's for a couple of questions here look at the future. If you think about your customers' roadmaps, you know where are we going, or what do you think the warehouse of the future is going to look like in five or more years from now? You know, from your perspective and what you're seeing at Bondolanda. Okay, so some some of that's a bit of a get my uh, crystal ball out, but um, exactly you know, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, things are you know, obviously are moving quickly, uh, and, and I, I think you could definitely say that the rate of change of of technology is increasing, just like any form of technology. You know, uh, whether it's in a warehouse or whether it's uh, within your house. But uh, I think you know we've heard all the AI hype, but I think. To be serious, that is having a, a bigger and bigger impact because that is going to, you know, 
uh, improve the, 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 the picking robots. You know, if we start, you know, we're already seeing deployment of robots picking, but they can pick, I don't know, something like 50 to 70% of articles in a warehouse, maybe. Uh, right. Certain things they really struggle with. Um, and as you see that sort of AI uh, learning and com computer learning coming along and improving and improving, you're, you're going to see that, you know, what can they pick become a much larger chunk. So what they can't pick becomes a very small piece eventually. So maybe it goes away completely. I don't know. Um, so you see that sort of thing. You know, there's also you know, algorithms around if you're doing things like palletizing or depalletizing, those sort of stuff getting cleverer and cleverer. So I think you know, all those sorts of things, you know, um, I think the other thing you start to see is with you know, the trailer unloading and uh, loading type type functions as well. Because if you look at it, if somebody's unloading a trailer in Texas in the middle of the summer, it's one of the most unappealing jobs in the world when you're working in you know, 120 degree plus weather. But right. if you look at some of the robots today, yes, they can do it. But when you start to get the you know, the, the boxes that have been damaged or squashed, that that's when they start to really struggle. So I think you'll start to see the technology around making all these robotic functions that you see in the warehouse today become more intelligent, capable of dealing with the, 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 the um, unhappy path type items as, um, that, that don't work, you know, that you need somebody to go in and do it themselves today. You know, the robots are going to get more intelligent. So I think you'll start to see that. The, 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 the other aspect is what AMRs can do and how they integrate, I think, is going to you know, change over time as well. So you're starting to see like the ACR, which is like a, I don't know, it's a, a mini load, but on a, on a, on an AMR, you know, they're, they're already picking at, you know, going up to 12 meters. So, you know, and they've grown from eight meters a year ago to 12 meters now. I know this is all metric, sorry, but, uh, <laughs> so it's 36 feet, 40 feet, as opposed to, uh, you know, 20, 30 feet. So again, you'll start to see that capabilities and what they can do, the traffic management around AMR, so you can get more density, the density of storage around what AMRs can have. And so all those things are all things that you're starting to see that have will have an impact on the warehouse. So Andy, you know, you mentioned early on in, in one of our questions about how, you know, we've gone from AMRs to this kind of whole different um, you know, fleet or, or complement of robots. And I wondered, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Gap was one of our presenters. And the first time I talked to uh, Gap, I don't know, five or six years ago, they had put in their first, they have always had high levels of automation, but it was around like mini load systems and conveyor and sorters, right? And five years ago, maybe six years ago, they were one of the first customers of a piece picking put wall. Uh, they put in Kindred AI. Today, they're the largest user of Kindred AI. So that was kind of their introduction to robotics. And then the next thing they did was to put in Exotech to handle returns. So it wasn't so much about picking as it was returns processing. Um, and then those things that they processed, they could uh, pick from the Exotech system you know, when there was orders for it. And then more recently, and I don't know uh, what's happened with it, but they had piloted one of the trailer unloading robots that you're talking about um, and, I, and, and had had a successful pilot and were starting to roll that out. So none of those things were, you know, an integrated solution, right? Um, Exotech was a whole different process from what 
Kindred was doing from what the other was, but they were, they started with automation in the, in the center of the facility. And now they're looking at other tasks and saying, well, what other robots can I bring in? Is that kind of where we're headed? You know, you sort of hinted at that early on. So it's funny you bring up Gap. So um, <clears throat> I have fairly intimate knowledge of Gap because I was very much involved with the original mini loads and shuttles that went into Gap. So um, <laughs> and it's interesting. So so Gap as a company, or, or you know, Kevin Koontz and his supply chain team, you know, are, are probably much more advanced than most people are, and so they've got them. You know, I can get this piece of technology to solve this particular problem. So it is sort of bits and pieces all around the place. Whereas other companies that don't necessarily have that level of expertise in their organization look for a complete solution. So they're going to buy everything in from one person that does everything. Then you know they're not going to work out how to put you know your, your erector set together as to say. So I think you know gap is, is a bit different in that sense. But I think yeah you're right. I mean you know when Gap put in their first mini load like I think it was like 12 years ago or something. So, you know, yes. it wasn't the technology that you talked about, like Kindred and Exotech and all these other things just didn't exist when they, they started their, their journey. Whereas something today coming in, you know, you've got a lot more choice of stuff already. So, you know, you can start at a much higher level with a much more integrated approach. And I think for a lot of companies, that more integrated approach is uh, the sort of favored solution because they're not, they don't necessarily have the expertise to patchwork stuff together. Uh, two more questions. Uh, we, we hit on the lights out warehouse and, you know, there are, um, like I've written a lot about grocery distribution and there are facilities out there in the grocery industry that come close. They're not completely lights out, but where, you know, basically lift truck on receiving, lift truck on shipping, once a pallet's inducted into the system, like it's all automation until it exits the other side as a you know store ready pallet. Um, is lights out going to be possible, or are we more likely to see some lights out around processes? I honestly think you. Well, I mean, you, you talked about that sort of that grocery thing, and you get some things where you can get pretty close to lights out. But I think on a whole, you're going to have processes that can be pretty lights out. Um, but there are going to be processes like sort of earlier about returns. I mean. You can't lights out return, so um, that's going to stay where it is until you know there's some more, much more sophisticated uh, pattern recognition AI robotic type thing. But um, so I think to be serious though, there's you know there's certainly processes that can be lights out, but there are other processes that are not going to be. You, know, you still need that sort of maintenance and uh, you know. Um, function in there to make sure everything is working right because your your life out is great until something goes wrong then what do you do um, and so you still need that that sort of thing of people there to, to make sure if something goes wrong it gets fixed but I still think there's there's processes that are going to take a long time before they become truly lights out so it's going to be a mixture I mean some depending on what your product is and what your warehouse is doing it's going to be easier to get closer to that lights out thing but I think you know things like e-com is a harder one to go lights out than perhaps you know, what you talked about there with grocery where you're just moving pallets in and out. Um, as soon as you get into mixed, mixed, mixed palletizing becomes harder. You know, the more complex your 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 fulfillment process is, the harder it is to get to lights out, I guess is what I'm saying. Last question. Um, and, and you mentioned AI earlier, and this that might actually be the answer, but 
regardless of whatever you're offering today, what's the technology that you're watching or that intrigues you the most that you think is going to have the most impact on the warehouse of the future? Well, I mean, yeah, AI and I think you know, pattern recognition, which sort of is, is a sort of subset of AI, I guess, I think how that influences uh, the development, because you know, I think this industry as a whole has you know, it started up its development as you know, pieces of hardware, pieces of role, you know, rotating machinery you know, <laughs> is fundamentally what it's based on. And then software came along and you know, today, none of these warehouse systems operate without software. So software is, you know, is the key, actually the key driver. I mean, uh, somebody once described to me that all these material handling systems are all boat anchors without software. And I think that that is, was true a few years ago and is getting, you know, software is the, is the fundamental driver. And that's where AI sits in that software stack. It's not some something separate. So all of this technology, even when you get to robot picking, you know, you can get fancy indefectors that can pick different things but without the, without the software that drives it, then nothing. So I think you know, sophistication around software is going to be a real, a real key driver for a lot of things around that. And of course, AI being brings on that, that, that machine learning and capability to do more with what you've got in terms of functionality. So, so it's not the hardware, it's the Intel inside, so to speak. It's the intelligence, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you, know, you can look at lots of things. I mean, you, whether you look at AutoStore or Shuttles or AMRs, uh, Exotech, you, you name them, uh, they all all are dependent on that intelligence that the software brings. Okay. Well, thank you, Andy. Uh, that's all the time we have today. A special thanks to my guest, Andy Lockhart from Bagalanda. And thank you for joining. I hope you'll be back for our next episode. And finally, be sure to go to nextgensupplychainconference.com, that's kind of a mouthful, and enter your email address for updates about NextGen 2024. We do have a date, October 21 to 23, back at the Chicago Athletic Association Hotel. We're planning another great event. So for Talking Materials Handling and the NextGen Conference, I'm Bob Troublecock and Andy, thanks again. Thanks a lot, Bob. Really appreciate it. Talking Materials Handling is produced by Modern Materials Handling and Peerless Media. You can find Talking Materials Handling on MMH.com, on iTunes under SC247, or just Google SC247 Podcasts. We're on all the popular podcast platforms. For more information, be sure to visit MMH.com, and we hope you'll join us again for our next episode.